media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. It's going to be a little bit strange preaching from up here. For years I preached from a pulpit at Shadowbrook and oftentimes behind a the biggest pulpit that I had ever seen in my life. I became pastor and uh, we had a wedding that weekend and um, we always had to take the big, huge pulpit down for weddings and uh, we didn't put it back up. And uh, in about a week or two, people noticed that the big pulpit wasn't there and there were some that were concerned, uh, wanting me to be concerned. <laughs> and I said, you just don't understand. I, I, w- I want to be as close to you as I possibly can. I, I want to, us to be a body of believers together. And even though I don't have anything wrong with a big pulpit or something like that, I just wanted that closeness. And so this is a little bit strange for me to preach from up here than down there because my desire is just that we would learn and teach together. But this morning we come on this majestic day, on this triumphant day, and we have this tendency to look back. And one of the things that we have a tendency to do is when we find ourselves in a historical setting, that is, we find ourselves reflecting back on something that historically happened, that we kind of try to grasp what was it like. How many of y'all were up at 6, 6.30 or 7 this morning? Okay, And you were able to look outside. It's kind of hard to believe now with this beautiful sunshine, but this morning it was foggy. I mean, it was really, really foggy. And when I think back and you begin to think of this Easter story and you begin to think about, you know, what was it like? I think this morning at about 6, 6.30 was probably much more what was going on in the garden at that time and around the tomb at that time than the sunshine, that it really was one of those kind of almost heavy days that, you know, where you couldn't see quite clearly. I think we do that a lot with history. I can remember going to the USS Arizona. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's a very solemn place. It's uh, there in Pearl Harbor. And, and you, you just sit there and you're on that memorial that they've made over uh, the USS Arizona and where it's down there in that body of water. You can see it kind of in the waters there. And you try to capture it by looking into the hills, or at least I did. I was very reflective of, you know, Man, if the planes were coming in this direction or that direction, and what was going through the mind of those servicemen and women as they were just entertaining? Are we being attacked? What is, what is this? The total surprise of that. And yet, as much as you would try to imagine, it's really hard to grasp what that was actually like. I think we do that with all historical events. If you've been to a place where history has happened, you, you try to imagine, and yet you say, I, I just wish I had more details. Well, one great thing about this story, this truth, this event of the resurrection, is that God has given us many details. Not maybe all that we would like, but we have many, so that we really do kind of see both not just the uh, setting, but the hearts, the wonderment. One of the great blessings of having the recording of God's Word and what He has given to us so that we can read it 2,000 years later, that we can, in our mind's eye, at least kind of paint this picture of, I, I imagine that maybe it was a morning like this. This morning, as we think about the events of the resurrection, we can know the blessings of that event, we can know it from a historical perspective, but this morning I pray that we would know it from a personal perspective. This is more than just history. And yet, history proves. 
Go outside the Bible. It's not just the Bible that would tell us these events. But if you go back in historical records, historical records away from Christianity will tell you that there's this recording that this Jesus of Nazareth died on a cross. And then all of a sudden these stories of his resurrection were coming through. That's not just in the Bible, but even history was recording that. But I wonder this morning as we begin to reflect on Easter, is, is it still a historical event to you? Or has it become so personal that it is the very foundation of your life? This morning we're going to look at two different passages. One of those is prior to the death of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's Palm Sunday where we left off last week. And something that happened that evening of Paul, Palm Sunday after Jesus came in on the cult and, and everybody got out the palm leaves and they were singing out, Hosanna, Hosanna, this is the king of Israel. And so what a wonderful morning that was. And you can only imagine the disciples going, finally, finally, three years we've invested into this man. Three years we've followed waiting for this kingdom to, to be uh, uh, restored. This glory of Israel. And you know what happens that evening? Luke tells us, Luke 19, again, this is the evening of that triumphant entry, and we find out that Jesus is weeping. It's one of the three times that the Scripture records for us the weeping of Jesus. Why is he weeping? Well, Luke, this historian, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes for us the reason of his tears. Luke chapter 19, verse 41 and 42. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would you that even you had known this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Put yourself as best as you can in that situation. The excitement of that day, when everybody is just proclaiming Christ as king, And now Christ weeping over the city, the city of Jerusalem, because they haven't found peace. One of the great experiences of my life was actually going to the hill where Jesus prayed this, where he wept over his city. And it's not a very big hill. In fact, it's smaller than Stone Mountain. And if you've ever been on the top of Stone Mountain, you know, you pretty much can go from this side to this side at the top part. And it's only maybe 100 feet in this direction, 100 feet in that direction. And when you get into the place of uh, this mount where Christ is, is weeping over the city of Jerusalem and you're looking over the city of Jerusalem, th- there's only a, a little bit of room where Christ could have been. And you really do try to imagine as much as you possibly can what was going on. And why would he weep? Well, he tells us. Had you only known what brings for peace? His heart breaks for them, not in some judgmental way, but I believe very much in a sorrowful way, a a weeping way. He's not pronouncing judgment over them at this occasion, but he's weeping for them. More than anyone, the Jewish people should have known what makes for peace. They were God's chosen people. They had the Old Testament prophets. They had Abraham and Moses and David. They had this long line of these people that lived for God. And if basically Jesus is saying, if anybody should have known the truth of what brings peace, you, the Jewish people, should have known this. And so we can understand his weeping. 
They had the prophets. They had the word. They had the promise. They were God's chosen people. How ironic that he would weep over the city, the the city of Jerusalem, which name literally means the city of peace. (laughs) Yet he looks over this city that is called the city of peace. He says, "You, you don't know what makes for peace. How does that truth apply to us today? Here we are 2,000 years later. We're, we're not in Israel. We're not overlooking Jerusalem, but, but we're gathered together in Jefferson, Georgia. Many of us, I would say probably most of us, if not all of us, don't come from a Jewish background, but we come from a Gentile background. Does this have application to us this morning? On this Easter morning, how does this apply? I believe in this one way. Do you know what makes for peace? Do you know what makes for peace? This is probably the most important question that you will ever consider in your entire lifetime. I mean, there's some big questions. Will you marry me? That's a big question. Sir, you you have a daughter, you have a son. It's kind of a big thing, you know, when they present to you. There's some really big things and events in life and questions in life. But I don't know that there's a more important one than than this one. Do you know what makes for peace? Now let's fast forward a week later. During that week, they have arrested Jesus. They have sent him through either four or five. We could debate if there was four or five different mock trials. But basically, they have tried Jesus, and even though he is innocent of every charge they would ever bring against him, they find him guilty. They have nailed him to a cross. They've placed a crown of thorns upon his head, and Jesus has died. And they placed him in a borrowed tomb. Quite a stark difference between the week before, Hosanna, Hosanna, and now we see that Christ is laid into a tomb. But as we travel through that week, we find out that Jesus is exactly who he said he was and he's kept every promise that he's made. He has risen just as he said. Folks, understand that every prophecy was fulfilled. That every promise that he made was kept. Every hope that we would have in this promise of a rescuer, this Messiah that would come, has been fulfilled and made possible through the work of Jesus Christ. And while perhaps it was quite overwhelming news to those that, that were there that were perhaps somewhat unknown to that, uh, it was still hard for them to, to grasp. They should have known. I, I'm still surprised how many times the Bible actually says, for yet they did not understand. When Jesus really, he told stories about what was going to happen to him. He said, literally, this is what's going to happen to me. I mean, he used symbolism, illustrations. He told them every way that you could possibly tell somebody, and yet... It still went right over their head. They didn't grasp it until the coming of the Holy Spirit, until the fulfillment of of all that God was doing. Where do we find the disciples? We find them a week later, after this resurrection, not before the resurrection, but after the resurrection, and even, if you want to say, in spite of the resurrection, in John chapter 20, verse 19. And on that evening of that day, 
What day? If you read all the verses prior, John has recorded for us the events of when they discovered the empty tomb. So this is hours later. Isn't it remarkable that you can have a week earlier this triumphant entry, and then that evening we have Christ weeping over Jerusalem. Now, a week later, we have an empty tomb, and we have this miraculous event, the very foundation of all our beliefs, and yet what do we find that evening? On that evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Do you believe that words are important? Do you believe that words are powerful? Do you believe that especially strategic words are powerful? I mean, I'm sure that there's some of us that because of our many words, we're going, okay, I only heard the first three, and after that it was all blah, blah, blah. Like Charlie Brown's teacher, blah, 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 blah. But the proper use of words are profound, and the words of Christ are profound. The words of God are profound. Let there be light. And what happened? There was light. Words are powerful. And so when Jesus comes and he sees the disciples, they're locked away in a room in fear. Fear of who? The Jews. Repercussions that they were followers of Christ. And he follows, he comes to them. And what does he say? Peace be with you. Could have said, I love you. Could have said, I missed you. Could have said, I told you. (laughs) And what does he say? Peace be with you. Let's not rush past the words of Christ to these disciples on this Easter Sunday morning. For perhaps they're the very words that you and I need to embrace and understand eternalize and have in the midst of our very spirits and souls this morning. When we think of the two most significant events of Christian holidays, uh, which two do you think kind of stand, you know, we don't want to make light of the other ones, but what, which two kind of stand out just are pinnacles of the calendar? Christmas and Easter, yeah, you know, those are the two. Christ's birth and then Christ's death and resurrection. So those are really the big days. And out of those two days, which one do you think that way, if the, if the subject is peace, if, if kind of the notion is peace, which one do you kind of lean toward, or maybe even as a Christian culture, not just a world culture, but a Christian culture, which one do we think is more of a peaceful thing? The birth of Christ, Christmas, or the death of Christ and his resurrection? Yeah. I mean, we even have songs. Talk about this peace that comes at Christmas. You know, let there be peace on earth. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. The words of silent night. Sleep in heavenly peace. I mean, we just think of that and we think, oh, well, you know, Mary, Joseph, oh, there's a couple animals there. It gives you this really kind of peaceful feeling. When we think of Easter, we, we think of kind of a much darker thing. And until we actually get to an empty tomb, we think of the darkness of, of nails and thorns and crosses and blood. It's really heavy. The little Christ child that we sang about, 
in his sleep on that silent night and, and wish for a heavenly peace. See, so far removed from the cross and the nails. And yet I, I would surrender to you this morning that the real culmination of peace that Christ brings that begins on, on Christmas morning is not fulfilled until Easter morning. In other words, folks, I, I don't believe biblically that you can take one without the other. I think one without the other is just another, dare I say, false hope of man. That God had promised a Savior, and a Savior comes. God himself clothes himself in flesh. He dwells among us. But if there's not death for our sins, and if there's not resurrection and victory over our sins, folks, all we're left is with kind of a, a sentiment from God. Everything hinges on the resurrection. And I would say this morning that our peace hinges entirely on the resurrection. To have a hope is one thing. To have a promise, one thing. But to have that promise fulfilled and to come into life and then death for us and then to come alive again, this is the biblical story. This is the good news of the gospel. Not just that Christ came, not just that Christ died, but that Christ rose again on the third day. This is the good news of the gospel. That the Christ of Christmas becomes the, the, the Christ of Easter. Isn't that amazing? And that the hope for peace on that first Christmas becomes a reality in the peace of that first Easter. It took the disciples a while to, to discover that. Until the Holy Spirit came and gave them kind of understanding and opened their eyes to the video that they didn't feel the full embrace. But what do we see them doing after that peace comes to their life? With reckless abandon, with reckless abandon, folks, they throw the world away and they said, we want to live and we will die gladly for Christ. The Bible says it this way in Acts, that they turn the world upside down with this radical faith. Peace that now became so foundational in their life that they were not striving for finding peace in all these other directions of their life. Isaiah 53 tells us in, in verse 5, He, that is Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. How did we get this peace? Through the work of Christ a work of his sacrificial death on our behalf, and then his resurrection. This is the final victory. Paul would write it this way to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2, verse 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Isn't that amazing when you really, again, put yourself in history? When you sit there on the USS Arizona, you're going, man, I wonder what was that like to see ships out there and planes come in and bombs and all these different things. I, I can only imagine that when we go to historical places and we try to put ourselves in that place, that, that we go, okay, I can kind of get some of it, but I can't fully grasp it. This morning, I believe that because it's God's word and because of his spirit 
we can actually grasp this, guys. Maybe not knowing the temperature and everything that was happening in the garden and what was happening at the empty tomb, everything that was happening behind these closed doors. There's a lot of details that in our interest we would want to know. Well, what were they doing? What did they have for food that night? What did they, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that we would want to know. Do we know what makes for peace? That is what God has made apparent. Other details are interesting. But what was Jesus' weeping a week before? As he weeps over Jerusalem, all that they would know what makes for peace. And now a week later, first words, peace be unto you. Folks, we, we may wonder about a lot of things about the events of that day, what transpired between uh, uh, Palm Sunday and Friday, and from Friday to the resurrection of Christ. We, we may wonder, we may not have all the details where we just fill in every single thing that would be uh, there before our inquisitive minds, but here's what we do know. Here's what the Word of God does reveal. Here's what we can be certain of this morning. We know what makes for peace. And God has made that very, very evident. You see, the peace that Jesus came to give us is the peace. It's the one who made, with the one who made us. Ultimately, what is this peace? Does it mean that when we believe in Jesus, every one of our ills goes away? Does it mean that, that everything that we would have, maybe we have a medical condition and we come to Christ and all of a sudden we're healed? No, sometimes that does happen, but it doesn't happen, you know, every time. I, I would say that it doesn't even happen most of the time. I'm not saying that God can't bring that kind of kind of medical peace to us, but for some reason God doesn't. Does it mean that everything in our lives that was broken is restored in, in a physical way? No. You know, I've known people that, you know, before they knew Christ, they were $60,000 in debt and they came to know Christ and guess what? A week later, they were still $60,000 in debt. That didn't go away just because it's an earthly problem, but now they have a peace that goes beyond my goodness, what I do? This peace that Christ gives us is peace with the one that made us. And there's not a more important peace in all the world, guys, than to be at peace with the God who made you. The God that constructed you, that, that knitted you together in your mother's womb. The ultimate peace is to be at peace with this God. And yet the Bible tells us that because of our rebellion and because of our sin, we're not at peace. In our own human nature, in our own human walk, we're not at peace with this holy God. But that God in Genesis 3 already begins to pronounce the gospel. He will send a rescuer. He will send one that can bring peace to us who are lacking that peace. Folks, that's Easter. It's not fixing every worldly thing that might be before us. But the most important thing in our entirety of being, are we at peace with the God who made us? Christ is made possible by his life, his death, and his resurrection. That's the hope that we have this morning. Christ has made a way for you and for me to have peace with God.
Look again at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace. Most important question I believe that you'll ever entertain in your life. Do you have peace with the one who made you? Oh, I know some biblical things, Pastor. You know, I can quote some scripture. And I know kind of the story. No. It's not up here. Not up here. 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 Do you have peace with the God that made you? Well, I go to church and I try to be a good person. I do a lot of good things. In fact, just last week I wrote a check to this charity and, and did this. Wonderful. Bless you. Thank you for being a kind person. Do you have peace with the God that made you? There's only one way. It's through what we celebrate today. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father. No one, no man has peace with their maker than through what I've done. And so I, I ask you this morning, do you know that peace? I'd love to talk with you after the service. I'd love to, to tell you how he's brought peace to my life. He certainly hasn't. Uh, I still have a lot of problems. I'm still a pretty uh, messed up guy uh, in a lot of different ways, but this I know with all my heart, with all my heart. But I have peace with the one who made me, the one who called me. I have peace with my God because I've tried to be a good person. No, because God sent one that stood in my place with all of my sins and all of my sin was put on him and he gladly and lovely took that, died the death that I deserve, rose again on the third day so that I might have life and now I get to enjoy this life. With problems, you bet. But one day there won't be problems because now the sin that is so apparent in this world and even in my own life will be in a place of perfection. Delivered into that place by good works? No. By trying hard? No. By knowing a couple verses? No. By wearing a John 3.16 t-shirt? No. But by holy God dying in our place, rising again on the third day to give us victory over sin, death, and the grave, and peace with the God who made us. Let's pray this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, this morning, we pray that we would know this peace. Father, I pray that this morning we would speak this peace, that we would share this peace, that, Father, this morning, that we would know without a doubt, without, Father, a a single part of us that would be reserved, that we would know the fullness of peace with you is through Christ and Christ alone. That because he lives, as the old song says, we we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, truly all fear can be gone. Father, this morning, oh, that we would know what brings peace. We love you. Father, we end our service now singing out to you. Father, we sing this song not just as historical fact, but Father, we sing it as a victory chant 
Father, we sing it as a, a song that sends us out into our community, into our family today perhaps, and into our work tomorrow. Father, we sing it as a song that takes us into this life. Not one that withdraws us from life. But because Christ lives, Father, there is peace. Let us be people that truly are those that are sharing the peace of God everywhere we go. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. And now, Father, we sing this song to you as we celebrate the victory of Easter. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.